Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Burn Your Boats with your host, me, Matt Listalia. This is my show where I interview entrepreneurs and teach others how to commit and take action. I've found this to be one of the most important things in life because we truly only get one of them. You know, this is this is our chance. This is all that we know. So why not commit and take action in the things that you're passionate about? This is the final episode in the mini-series that I have been doing with Kelly Kroll. She's been a phenomenal guest, just packed full of super impactful um, stories and and lessons to really take away. I know that I say this, and I've said this with a lot of the episodes, but this one truly moved me, and it really is phenomenal. I'm, I went back and just listened to it recently, and I was so, I was so touched and moved by the sentiments that are there. And we we touched on a ton in this episode, so there's a lot here for you. Stick all the way through to the end because she she really caps it off strong, and I really think that this is this is the proper way to end it. And so I'm glad that you're back and you're here and ready to to wrap up this little mini series that I had. Now, where we had left off, um, I had asked a question inquiring uh, into Kelly's background. I know that we had talked a little bit about that right off the start, but I wanted to kind of dive a little bit further into it. And so if you listened all the way through to the end of the last episode, which I imagine that you did, and that's why you're here, um, that's I, I asked her um, to kind of to kind of kick us off from the beginning because she dealt with some obstacles and stuff um, early on in her life that she overcame. And continue to do so throughout the rest and so that is where we start things off so let's go ahead and get the show rolling so again i grew up in in omaha nebraska well nobody listening will know that you all know because <laughs> we actually were neighbors that's right um, our entire lives and grew up next to next door to each other um no but i mean and i think that we grew up in a great neighborhood and everything but you know looking at now like i mean we grew up in like one of the kind of the more poor poor middle class areas of omaha. yeah that's the way that we I weren't the west west o kids no you know, I mean, our families were great and our neighborhood was great or whatever. Um, but, you know, we won't, nobody was like crapping money. Yes. <laughs> no, no. I remember, <laughs> no. I remember as a kid, I was in my dining room and I, right by the little, you know, AC heat vent, I looked down and there's a mm-hmm. hole next to it where I can see my mom doing laundry in the basement. <laughs> like, hmm <laughs> and that was I know that vent. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't it was never a thought that like this is not okay or something's wrong. I literally remember waving to her like, "Hi mom." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it was we just, all did that. It was just, you know, it just was. I love your so, parents so much by the way. Oh my god. I <laughs> They're like they're like my second family. Um, people people no, want to talk I, about privilege and starting out like with like unequally because of you know, a, like a dual parent home and things like that. I, I had that like times 10 because not only did, were both my parents there, they did get divorced to get back together, but not only were they both there for the majority of the time, uh, they're just amazing human beings. And to this day, I can say that. And so I'm, I acknowledge that how lucky I am to have had that. Oh, I, I completely consider your parents like my second set of parents for sure. Um, well, because when I was younger, before you were born, uh, my parents got divorced and I was raised in a single parent home with just my dad. So um, my dad always made sure that I went to really good schools. Um, I was very, very lucky for that. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Montessori, I think started in third grade through sixth grade. And then, um, and that's when I started, uh, my seventh grade year started at uh, Brunel Talbot with the help of an amazing couple who are like another set of like, I consider my adoptive parents, there's probably only two and that'd be your folks. And then uh, George and Diane Abbott, 
Um, and I was really good friends with their daughter that was a year younger than, than me. And we were best friends for such a long time. And, uh, they kind of made the call to Brownell and said, you should really look at this girl. And I had to go in over a summer, my sixth grade year and take a battery of exams and all kinds of stuff. Um, and then they gave me a scholarship. So I went to junior high and high school on a scholarship at Brownell. Um, and when I got out of there, um, you know, just had some kind of life stuff happen and I ended up getting married a little too young. Um, and I didn't actually start college until I was 28 and I graduated at 32. So, um, I still was never really sure. I mean, I was always kind of like, I was in the medical field since I was about 20 or 21. So when I, I think I started at Kubot's pharmacy, um, when I was about 20 and I loved, I mean, I, I still love pharmacy. It's one of the loves of my life. And then I, I remember nine 11 happened and I was just like everybody in the country was just like glued to my TV screen about what was going on. And I remember, I don't know, I don't know if it was on CNN or what it was, but one of the, one of the anchors was interviewing their camera person and said, you know, and was trying to get what was going on on the ground. And this guy was explaining, you know, about the second tower went down and, you know, I was in the street and I like pulled these women in and, you know, he was treating them or whatever. And the host, you know, this is like his camera guy was like, how did you know how to do that? And he goes, well, I'm an EMT. I'd never even heard of that. Yeah. At that point, I think I was 22 or 23. And I was like, I'm going to be that. So I went registering, became an EMT after that. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm gonna. It's amazing how so that's kind of that where was. that, like, it, it was like, uh, you know, I, I, that's our equivalent, I think, to like, uh, you know, our parent or grandparents generation of like Pearl Harbor. It was like, oh my God, you know? It was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and just the, um, the call to service after that, like, you know, so many people uh, that I know joined the military because of that. And then people like you saw, had their own experiences where you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to be an EMT because I saw this amazing. Uh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Yeah, no, it was, it was really amazing. And the thing that, like, I mean, I loved so much how, like, the country pulled together pulled together then um and that's what makes me think like this is not an impossibility about like making the world better and changing the world the problem is is like you said we keep forgetting (laughs) like (laughs) you know just because something doesn't happen for six months doesn't mean there's not a problem anymore like we all have it in us we all have the ability and especially like again, as America, as a country, we can do this, but people get so absorbed in like their own lives and everything that's going on that people are just like, ah, all right, well, I'll get back to that when I get back to it. Yeah. We seem to fuel ourselves with distractions, things that are a little bit easier to process and to handle than some of the heavy. And we, we lean on them. We lean on those tools a little bit too heavily, perhaps time to time. And it, yeah, and I, think- and I- it affects our ability to even really choose ourselves, you know, in our own lives, like the way that you did. And it's uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting was just that you, your story about the, your connection and lineage to all of the wars that took place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your dad served in Vietnam, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, he, uh, he got drafted. So, and he, he went, he got he was, drafted. He was, he was an active, active, like, fighting. So he was, he actually, he, he's told me, like, and again, I haven't heard a whole bunch because it's still something my dad won't talk about very much, which yeah. I think is very common with a lot of the, uh, with the veterans from Vietnam. But he has told me that he got paid, I think it was like an extra, like, $80 a month for being under active hostile fire every day. <laughs> It's a, it's a reasonable compensation, right? Right. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so yeah. there were, there had to be, 
I mean, so he goes from that to um, eventually, obviously it's not back to back, but so he's dealing with the stress for the rest of his life with the post-traumatic stress that they didn't even know what, what that was, you know, to the right extent. I think they were still using terminology like shell shocked. That was, I think that was coined back in World War One. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, shell shocked, which was like actually a physical condition of being yes. shell shocked. Of actually, yeah, of shelling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So this is yeah. We'll just call it that because you were in war and that happened at war. Like, oh, and he also had Agent Orange poisoning, which the military and the government didn't want to admit until after the statute of limitations like ran out on it. So, yeah, he does have PTSD and has had Agent Orange and. I've also had kind of a compromised immune system my whole life, which they found a lot of the kids of Vietnam vets that have Agent Orange poisoning. It's kind of been passed down. Oh, um, wow. I didn't even know that. That's, inc- that's insane. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, every, every, everybody that I know that, like, personally, that their dads are exposed to Agent Orange, um, all of us are, like get sick like a lot easier and have a lot of other like health issues um and you know and the military slowly coming out with some of that information that you know the kids can have this and this is like yep i've got that yep i have to deal with that Mm -hmm." oh my god so so yeah it's 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 a again it's a multi-generational effect because again, back then, because they didn't know what PTSD was. And it's hard for military families now to deal with when there's like somewhat mental health services Mm -hmm. um, and things like that. Um, You know, these are like wives that have to deal with this and kids that have to like be around somebody that has PTSD and the person that actually has it going through the hell that they do. And then they maybe have physical, you know, um, medical issues because of what they were exposed to. And they pass that on to their kids. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of, I don't know. So, I don't, just on your, I don't know your if person- I have words for that. Yeah. How did, how did that impact your guys' relationship? Like, you and your father with, you know, him dealing with all of that. Was there, did, was that something that you were aware of? Did you know? Um, I, I was not aware of it, like, when I was growing up. I mean, I think that as an older adult now and having like a better relationship with like my mom and, and and, well in my dad and like having, you know, more adult conversations about stuff like that. And again, like I'll say my dad still doesn't disclose very much that like happened like when he was there. Um, that I think that, you know, part of that absolutely contributed to, you know, some issues in my parents' marriage and, and things like that. And I know that my dad says that he finally, you know, he's, I think just turned 75 in October and says that only maybe once a week now he has nightmares about Vietnam, which is kind of sad. You know, it's only been 50 years. Um, still happens. Um, he actually told me a story. This was just a couple months ago that he, He's since now he's, you know, retired and likes to go take uh, photographs and he was at a park or something taking photos and he was on a bench. Maybe it was even at the zoo, might've been at the Henry Dorley Zoo. And he goes, there was a pair of sunglasses sitting next to me on the bench. He goes, I I think somebody left them. They're really nice. And I said, well, why didn't you pick them up and give them to him? And he goes, they could have been a bomb. And I was like, what? He's like, we were trained. You do not pick up anything that looked like that because that's exactly what it could be and I was like oh that was like a revelation for me I was like oh my god I can't believe after 50 years that you're still on the kind of alert like the like just the low-key almost unrecognizable anxiety and the cortisol that has to be going through you to always be looking for like thinking a pair of sunglasses could be something that'll blow your hand off yeah it has to be like unimaginable yeah the impact just like you said the cortisol the impact on your body over time Mm -hmm. like that's in that's incredible it's yeah and it's it's really sad because i really think that i think that in order to take care of our soldiers and i've i've seen the va you know my my grandfather i dealt with the va for years and years and years and he had all kind of kinds of issues 
Um, I think that mental health really needs to be like at the, 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 be one of the front runners, you know? And I don't mean like, well, you went to war, so like you should go to therapy for like 12 sessions after you get home. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it should be something that is like an ongoing thing the whole time. My personal belief is don't, I, if you can show me anybody that doesn't need therapy, like I'll give you a million dollars. Yes, there's seriously not a there's not a single person I don't think that could ever not benefit from some kind of counseling. Yeah, and unfortunately, again, that's another thing in our society that is very taboo and nobody wants to talk about. I mean, it's come out more in the last couple of years, but. Oh, it's still, I, it still I, has this I, taboo wrapped all around it. Of course it does. Because I, I and if you don't think it does, then I, 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 you know, I dare you to call into work and say, I'm having a really, like, I'm really depressed today. I can't come into work. They'd laugh at you. Yeah. Even though that absolutely is a legit medical condition. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, we're not talking about like, I kind of feel sad today. We're talking about like depression, like, or yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, sometimes people need a mental health day and people should get mental health days the same way that they get sick days. Yeah. When I think about it, um, like I, I look at it from a business owner's perspective and, and I think about it and from my own personal experience from a, uh, a leader's perspective in the military that attitudes are very contagious and infectious. And so if somebody's having that kind of day, I don't like as a leader, I don't want you to come in like you're if because your type of like where you're at is going to be a drag on everybody else, you know, like take your day, take your day and relax, find something you need to do, go talk to somebody you know, go, if well, it's, if it's go you might need, bowl you might ice need cream. three days. You yeah. Yeah. No, three days three. the same way you do when you got the flu, you know, no, absolutely. I mean. <clears throat> absolutely. And it's in with the military, it's actually really interesting because I went through a uh, master resilience training course to be certified to, to facilitate, you know, these different skills uh, to help boost resilience for soldiers. And we were talking about, um, behavioral health which is what you go to for those types of things in the military it's like a specific floor in the hospital that's behavioral health you know oh, yeah and so we talked about all the different programs that are available to soldiers and they asked like which ones like in our class when we were going through the training like which ones do you guys like the most and so we go through our list of like the different types, basically like the different ways to reach out to get help. And I've used it. I used it for marriage counseling while I was married. And uh, I used one called Military One Source. And I specifically chose that one because they, they are not allowed to report your visits back to your leadership and to your unit. Mm-hmm. And they were like, why was that important to you? Like, because I don't want, one, I don't want, people in my business without mm-hmm. you know a need for that if i if i need to reach out to them and i need i need to let my leadership know then i'll let them know but they don't need to know if i'm in marriage counseling and two i mean and that's that's one thing for marriage counseling but if you're going for um you know post traumatic stress that can impact whether or your not crew. you're staying in the service. Yeah. Absolutely. Because then you might not be able to carry a weapon and it, you know, it's kind of what we do. Well, that impacts non-active military as well. And yeah. that's also, you know, one of the big issues is that there's a lot of veterans that again, do have, you know, issues in PTSD and they, there's services available, but because they're worried about if I go talk to this person about my PTSD or my depression, then they're going to put me on a list where I can't have my firearm or whatever. Um, then they won't do it. And it's very real. Um, and so, and and I understand the concern. I mean, I understand the concern on both sides because I have to look at it from, you know, daughter of a veteran as well as, uh, you know, a, a healthcare professional, you know, do we need to like look at this or whatever? But, I think that we're in a, I think with some of those regulations, we're kind of pigeonhole, 
pigeonholing ourselves in a lot worse situation where because we're imposing those possible restrictions on people that need help that don't get them, that they're actually could potentially be a more volatile situation than if we just made it where it was very easy for people to go seek that help because the longer it goes without treatment, the worse it gets. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, that's a multifaceted issue. You know, how oh, do you, yeah. how do you deal with that? Yeah. There are some people that probably should not, should not have access at some. Yeah. And even, and the thing is it, it it's, we, we always want to, you know, have these conversations in, in a black and white nature, you know, and but they're not, it's yeah, exactly. This one especially is so nuanced and so individually based. Like you can't just categorize and say, oh, okay, this person has post-traumatic stress. And so they're not allowed to have a weapon, you know, or, but, but that's, but that's the way with every single issue that we have in this country. Yeah. Everything is, is a, a case by case basis. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, again, I don't want to get po- political, but again, with like the whole abortion thing and, you know, people being like, well, don't murder babies. Well, but it's not just murdering babies. Like there's so many other things that go like along with that, that nobody wants to talk about that come into play, that we've really got to be more open to having those conversations. About- I think that's the biggest thing. It's that that's where the breakdown happens is we don't. We don't want to go into that nuance. No one wants to talk in that. No, because it's area. because that's what it's uncomfortable. And now yeah. we've created this like atmosphere where being uncomfortable is like not okay. We can't make anybody uncomfortable. Like, like it's no. so funny. I think it's so funny that 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 became such a big deal, or seems to be becoming such a big deal on college campuses, because I always Crazy. I always viewed college campuses as like the place to be made uncomfortable like you're gonna you're leaving home you're for the first time ever exactly you're being introduced to all of these people but, you've never met. but before. the reason that that's happening is because we entire like generation of people that have had helicopter parents where you're not allowed to make, <laughs> like if you're in soccer like everyone's got to get a medal or mm-hmm. whatever like no sometimes like life doesn't work out and it sucks like yeah you've got to learn how to deal with it it's like you're either supposed to be equally compensated for doing half the work or you get put on medication to just like numb you out or whatever because you have a quote-unquote like behavioral issue and don't get me wrong there's there's people that you know and kids that need you know you know medicinal help or whatever but we're creating a generation that can't doesn't even have the basic skills to deal with like just basic stress yeah and at what point do we then send these kids into a workforce that they can't handle? Yeah. It's so crazy. The, it's all, I really feel like a lot of this comes down to expectations. Um, the expectations of parents imposed upon their kids then. And when I say that, I mean like the low, the low expectations placed upon children by their parents mm-hmm. then creates low expectations of yourself as a child. Like, Oh, I can't do that. Like I, I, I worked through that with my kids. I remember I heard, I forget, there was this big story that I heard this guy talking about. And it was essentially this the story of a kid who was like 12 years old, who went on this like 36 mile trek from his home in Pennsylvania to go hunt, to get food, to bring it home for the next three months, you know, for his family. Like a 12 year old went out with a rifle, you know, a long time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but it was, was took on that responsibility and was trusted to bring food back for the family. And now like there are 12 year olds that don't even know how to work a microwave. Uh, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're my daughter, that. my daughter is 11 and she put a fork in a bowl into the microwave and I, I was so mad and, and she thought I was mad at her. I wasn't. I was like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who have I created? And so it really, I, and I try to take those chances. And uh, I, one of the big things I try to do with my kids uh, when it comes to that is give them opportunities to self-govern. 
And so, well, again, it comes down to autonomy again. Like yeah. somebody has got to take like responsibility and autonomy for themselves. Yes. And the thing is, is that people that run a parent. Well, and if you're not given the opportunity, not only do you not develop like, like emotionally and mentally and within a society, mm-hmm. but again, at what point are you able to ever be proud of doing anything yourself? Exactly. If somebody you always it. does it for you. You never, you never get that feeling. And so you never build those like neural pathways of connecting, you know, hard work with gratification. And I I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about. Well, the only neural pathways that we're building are giving people like kids iPads where they can get a a dopamine (laughs) dump in their brains Yes, for instant gratification. And I'm sorry, sometimes gratification is extremely delayed. And it should, I mean, it should be, <laughs> or at least we should well, learn that. I'm 41 and I work seven jobs to do what I love. And I spend all of my free time doing and trying to make a nonprofit work that I love. And if that's not the definition of delayed gratification, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> and again, there are times I want to completely give up, but you know, you, you got to decide like what's more important or whatever. Yeah, you know, and sometimes it's not right away, and sometimes you got to realize like I can work as hard as I want at this, but sometimes it just takes time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting to know somebody takes time. It's not something that you can ever rush. I don't care how many times I meet you in person, and we spend time trying to cultivate something mm-hmm. over a small amount of time. It'll never be the same as it is. If you spend years and years with somebody and go through things that you could never imagine are going to happen, that that person is willing to be a part of or talk to you about in some way. That's why I believe when people say like, you'll never have friends like you do the ones that you grow up with because they've been through all the shit with you. Yeah. Right. They've seen it all. Like, and it's not a constant thing. It's built over an amazing amount of time. Mm -hmm. But those are the most valuable relationships that there are. Because you can never have that with anybody else. That you didn't spend that kind of quality time and just invest the actual time in. Yeah. It's, it's, and I think part of that, you know, like, it has to do with those shared experiences, right? And you gain those shared experiences over time. And absolutely. You have the, it's, and it's, it's never, I mean, you can look back fondly at the the good times you guys had together, but a, a lot of the, the depth of those relationships ha- ships happen through the shit, you know, when you're crawling through the shit together and you're, someone's pulling the other one out you know, to help them. I think well, we're getting in arguments and figuring them out between the two of you, which yeah. is a skill that a lot of people don't have anymore. Yep. Like having conflicts and figuring it out and being like, I'm not okay with that. You did this. Well, I didn't realize that you felt that, you know, and having, oh to, my like, God. I don't even know what that talk to somebody for like, you know, a month or whatever, and then getting back and being like crying on the phone and just being like, this is, you know, I don't want it to be like this, but this is what we've got to figure out or whatever, you know, there's, there's just so much like emotional involvement that goes into that, that you can't ever recreate on a short term immediate basis. It's just, it's not possible. No, no, it's not. I mean, the only, the only variable or, or caveat I guess, or exception more accurately exception to that, that I've seen is, um, high stress situ like extremely high stress situations for short periods of time. Um, oh yeah, no, I agree. So again, like you've been in the military, I've done like the overseas stuff the bonds exactly. that you make with people because you're in, but you're in the thick of it and you have, but you have, there's no break from it. Again, yeah. you're investing the time. It's on nothing but time. Yep. Like, and you're in a super stressful situation and you don't understand it. And you have to walk through that muck with somebody else. Yes. And you're the only person that understands. I totally get that. Well, and um, I think it, like what you said, um, like the way that you were kind of breaking down uh, 
like a, a potential fights that you've had, you know, as you're developing the relationships and then kind of how you come back together. It's so easy for people to just dismiss other people in their lives you know, like when you're not in that situation, like when you're in Haiti and you're there in your 10th day without a shower and without toilets and in survival mode. Yeah. And, and you have a, an interpersonal struggle or confrontation with somebody, you, you got to figure that out. You know, yeah, you have yeah. to communicate. That, that's not something you get to like walk away from and be like, ah, well, I got to go to work and I got to deal with this. And yep. there's no distractors. It's, this is it. Y- you got to get it fixed now. Yep. That's it. And it's, it's on you to, and it's just, so, you were saying when you were laying out the structure of the conversation, I'm like, oh my God, I pray that people, that somebody somewhere communicates like this. Like when you did this, it made me feel this way. And this is why, you know what I mean? Like it, it, that doesn't happen. Like usually like in the real world, it doesn't. doesn't. That's so idealistic. It makes me want to puke myself, but you know, (laughs) um, I mean, that'd be great if we could communicate, but again, nobody's ever taught communication. Like we go to school and we learn math and we learn times tables and we learn history or whatever, but nobody tells us how to communicate or how to live or how to have relationships or how to take out a loan or do any of that. Like maybe, are left to figure out all of that on our own through like trial and error. And it's a really difficult process. And it's some of the most important stuff. It is the most, it, 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 no, it is the, not the, some of, it is the most important yeah. stuff because yeah. if you don't know how to survive and you don't know how to cultivate relationships and be mentally healthy and also like take care of yourself in the world, it doesn't really matter if I've, mastered the times tables you know what i mean i'm not saying it's not important <laughs> oh no sure absolutely i just mean like how do you function like in life like without that and again that's why there's therapists now that make yeah. a shitload of money because yes. high demand <laughs> supply and demand it's, it's, not a lot of demand. About, it's not just about like you know personal like intimate relationships it's about with your siblings it's about with your yeah. friends it's about with your family it's about with your coworkers. it's about with people that you work with it's everything like it's all tied back to that and we're social creatures you know oh and- we are um and we need to learn how to like talk to each other and work better and i'm super guilty of it i have a really hard time you know um i i'm a very reactive person um I let my emotions get the best of me. I'm a very emotional person too. Um, I have no real gray area in that, in that (laughs) way. I am either, I look like a hardened, like a hole, just like I'm all business. Like, all right, all right, all right. We got to like get, you know, get this done. I'm results driven. And then on the other side, like, I'm just like a bumbling, like crying mess. Like again, in Haiti, we were there. I think the last day we were there, we went to an orphanage. And that was kind the of, the first, the, like, like the first break that we had, you know, it was like, okay, yeah. you guys have been through like crap, you know, for the last two weeks, we're going to go to an orphanage and we're just going to like have fun and be able to like play with kids and whatever. And everybody was like so happy and excited. And I had like held it together for like two weeks and everyone else went in and I was like, none of these kids have parents or homes. And I stood behind a van and I cried for an hour by myself (laughs) and I just like, couldn't handle it. It was like so emotionally overwhelming because it was like, I didn't have that like middle ground. It was like, I need to either keep it together or I'm going to lose it, you know? And I had to lose it because I was just like, after two weeks, I was so emotionally spent but didn't feel like I could let that barrier down because I would look weak in front of like the people that I was like working with or be deemed as like unfit to like do my job yeah, or whatever. And I was like, I'll be back in a minute, you know? And then an hour (laughs) I have a thing I got to do just on the other side of the van. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, seriously. I was just, I mean, I like sobbed, like sobbed for like two hours or not two hours, like, like an hour. It was probably about an hour. And I was just like, I mean, like crying and crying. I was just like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming that we've got, I mean, we had a whole tent full of like newborn babies that the place, that orphanage we were working in, that was a gated community. 
they said, we have to get up super early in the morning and go open the gate and collect all the babies left in the dirt on the outside because the parents don't have any home to take them home to. Oh my God. And I was, and people are just like, oh, holding babies and like braid your hair. And this, and I was like, oh my God, like what's going to happen to these babies? Like, <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind. Like this is what we're doing on the last day. We're seeing, we're seeing yeah, children but, without but I was the only one like crying though. Like yeah. everybody else was like super happy and like they were like getting rid of their stress. And I was just, like, oh my god, I realized like how bad this is for me that I just like hold this in or whatever, and I just have to like go cry for an hour. And that's not normal, and I recognize that. But again, when you get to be a certain age, like how do you fix certain parts of that? And that becomes a whole other personal journey on like how to grow as an emotional human being that can interact with other people and be vulnerable and show parts of yourself that you have worked so many years to build up like a defense and a wall. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult. <clears throat> That's part. It's a really awesome. The kind of way that you just framed that because the, one of the, the principles that I'm kind of, you know, running with on this show is shattering your framework and recreating your own personal narrative. Right. And so you, we, we build up or we either build up our own or we live with inside other people's like their boxes and their expectations of, of the way that we think that we're supposed to be and the kind of life that we're supposed to have. And so we allow this framework to kind of define what we're able to do and what's expected of us. And so <clears throat> I'm hoping through these conversations that I can, you know, inspire people to, to shatter that, just destroy that framework and then really think about who you are. Like one of the things I think that we really miss out as people and we don't spend enough time doing is uh, active introspection, you know, really looking at like, who am I and who do I want to be and what, what, what things or what, you know, aspects or philosophies or guidelines mean something to me and how, how am I going to fulfill that through my actions? And so you're just, you're an amazing, a beautiful example of somebody that, that does that. And I mean, and it's, it's never, I feel like as humans, we're never a finished product, you know, from the day that we're born to the day that we're, you know, to the day we I don't, die. I don't think that to be a good human being, you can ever consider yourself finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should always just, have something that we can learn. Um, yeah. No, life, life to me is it's, you know, it's, you're constantly learning and growing. Like you're in school. If you've, if you've closed your mind off to new concepts and new ideas or having your mind changed, like what's the point? What's the point in, in, in continuing on? Like, I love it. I love meeting new people and discussing new ideas. <clears throat> so with, with all of that, what, what's next for you? Like what's, what's on your, what's on your horizon? What's on the agenda? I, I heard, oh, I God. love that. I love that big goal that you said. What was it? It was, uh, you wanted to establish a medical facility or what a was free, it? A free medical clinic on every continent. Yes. Yeah. No, that is something I want to do. Um, I'll be honest. I'll put on the more like, short-term stuff. <laughs> well, I, I'll be honest. Like, I, one of the crappiest questions I think I ever get, especially like in interviews, is always like, "Well, what's your five-year plan? Oh, yeah, your yeah. plan." Like, and I'm not saying that it's. I think it's great to have goals. Um, I think that it's not good when you become so. I guess, focused on just the one thing that you miss out on everything else that's going on. Yeah. So yeah, I do have the goal. Like I, I want to make that happen. But as, as far as what I think that's going to happen in my career or, you know, with anything else in my life, um, I think that the more you set these like stipulations and ramifications for yourself, the more you have, an opportunity to be disappointed. <laughs> um, the thing I want to do, I, I, I want to be a better person for myself. So I'll say that's something that I'm willing to do. I don't know what that is or how to even get there. It's, it's something I just, I want to grow as a better person um, and, and figure that out. 
um, and, and I want to do good things for the world. Again, I don't know what those are necessarily because depending on who I meet or a conversation I have, that can change dramatically. And if I'm not open to that, I think I'm missing out on opportunity. So that is my one goal. I mean, my one goal is I, I do want to make sure that there is a, a free health clinic on not every continent. And I, I, I want to learn more about people and I want to meet more people and I want to go more places and I want to see the world. And I, 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 I don't want to miss opportunities anymore. I want to embrace like the beauty that is life because it's not just beautiful. It's, it's tragic and it's heartbreaking and it's joyful and it's all these things at the same time. Yeah. And you can't appreciate one without the other. Absolutely. And I think like uh, typically the way that I like to end a lot of these conversations is by asking, you know, the, the person I'm talking to, to define success to me, but I feel like you just did. <clears throat> like in, in just bettering yourself, you know, and becoming the best version of you that you can be each day and traveling and learning and growing. I, I, I sit in a very similar position. Uh, personally, I, I think that growth is a necessity and you don't grow by sitting still. Well, and again, I, I think that asking people to define that is again kind of putting that putting in that position of expectations of you know what we're supposed to be doing um the only thing that we have to do in our lives is just be ourselves but nobody ever tells us that that's okay not yeah. not most of the time um, oh, it's the one of the and figuring out who you are, which is really the hardest thing yeah. that you could possibly do. And yep. not only figuring out who you are, but accepting it and being okay with the fact that other people may not like it. Um, and that's, okay. that's and that is okay, but nobody tells us that, no. you know, um, when we're growing up. I mean, I think some of that dynamic is shifting a little bit that there's maybe some more of those conversations being had now than, than used to be. Cause I, in, I may be talking out of my ass right now just because <laughs> we've known each other for so long and we, you know, grew up kind of in the, obviously in the same neighborhood and the yep. same. A high uh, five distance away. <laughs> right. Um, but it was just that, you know, because of where, where we grew up and where our parents came from, it was very much like, you got to go to college and you got to do this. And I want you to have these opportunities I didn't have. And that was, that was an expectation. Mm -hmm. um, and something that I think we fulfilled, but ultimately are you doing it for yourself or because it's an expectation because you don't want to let your family down? because that's what you're supposed to do. Is that what you really want to do? I mean, you look at, uh, God, you know, the famous phrase of the starving artist or whatever. Mm -hmm. My God, why don't you go to law school or medical school or get a, like an actual career? You can't be an artist. Well, art's amazing. Like if there weren't the beauty of art, what's the point of living, you know? And there's people that are brave enough to go be broke. I mean, Van Gogh died without a penny in his pocket, you know, and was half crazy. But he created these amazing masterpieces that people will stand in front of and cry. They're so beautiful. So at what point did we get into a society to say that these are the only acceptable things to be doing instead of you need to decide what makes you happy. And once you decide that, then you need to give that everything that you've got. Yep. And having that expectation of an 18 year old at a high school seems a bit unreasonable. I'm going to be honest. I, again, I started college at 28. Exactly. And even then I was like, looking around at 18 year olds that had just gotten out of high school. They'd never been out of their parents' house. They'd never experienced anything. 
and they're supposed to decide what they're going to do with the rest of their life. That's insane. How does that work? It's not logical. Like, and no. I was like, I still don't even feel like I have any idea what I want to do with my life. Yep. I mean, I know some things I want to do with my life, but yes. like, I don't know what I want to be. I want to learn so many new things all the freaking time. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, how are you supposed to just be like pigeonholed into this, you know, situation? Um, and it would be really and that's this- just supposed to be you. And then I see these kids that have like spent their career and they've, all of their good young years, like their early mid twenties. And they were like stressed out and taking tests and trying to memorize flashcards to get through law school. Then they get through that and they got top honors and then they go work for a law firm. And a year later, they're like, I hate this. Yep. I don't want to do this. When when they're like, what is the point in that? You know? One idea that I heard that I fell in love with is a, a kind of, required apprenticeship prior to endeavoring in that field. So if you want to go, if you want to be a lawyer for six months, 12 months, you're going to go work in a law office and you're not going to be some some clerk, you know, running mail. Like you're, and you won't even necessarily be working a whole lot, but you're going to be there kind of shadowing, watching what these people do and to figure out like, Oh, this is what accounting is. This is what, being a doctor is this is what being a surgeon or you know whatever it is that you're trying to do like i see i get it i want nothing to do with this now i didn't waste four six eight twelve years of my life in education for this thing that now i owe half a million dollars on and i don't want to do it (laughs) yeah no i mean i think that's a good idea i honestly think that what we should be doing for kids once they get out of high school is that they should have to go do three months of overseas service somewhere. No, I was, that was the other idea. The other thought that kind of just ran in my head is, is both is having like a period of time. Three months sounds great to go uh, volunteer no, overseas. Go, go, then go to do dig it. latrines, go yep. build a house, go yep. teach English, and go then, learn about another culture. Exactly. Go, That's one of the biggest something. parts. Is one you learn about the about hard work and and most likely manual labor in the sense that in like and what that can produce for somebody who did not grow up in the same environment that you did and you learn about their culture and what it means and like oh shoot people people live like this like people believe uh, things and they do these things that's interesting. Well, not just that, but you look at all the things, all the opportunity that you have when you get back. <laughs> yes. When you go and you watch people like, you like, oh, here's a girl that's the same age as me. She didn't get to go to school like from the time she was like eight because she has to walk six miles every day to go get dirty water. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we take for granted the, you know, I, I think that's where we're at in the United yeah, States. It's, we, it's take, a, we take for granted the opportunity that we do have. Yeah. There's a perspective um, check. And that's, that's something, that's something I think that doing something like you said, like having people go over and I don't like the idea of forced anything like of anybody compelling anybody to do anything, but I don't really if, like the idea of it either, to be yeah. honest. But, but I think that, there are certain things that you can give people the opportunity to do exactly. that make like, them better people. And yeah. I think that is absolutely one of them is yeah. that everyone should be exposed to a developing country. And yeah. again, they don't have to leave the United States. They can go to a, a native American reservation and see it oh, right there. Honestly, that's and So that was one of the things I was thinking is, you know, if you're going to do service overseas, I want, I want that person to do service here too. And then, but then what an amazing opportunity that is to see. And There's especially plenty of it around here. They can go yeah. to the Appalachians. They can go, you know, that's not a native reservation, you know? Yeah. There's so many areas. There's areas in the United States that don't have running water. That yeah. don't have like those basic things. Absolutely. Go do some service for other people. Exactly. I mean, I think it's great that there's high schools now that are requiring kids to do a certain amount of like community service hours. Yep. I just wish that they were more in depth on like how other, like, I'm not going to say like, you know, go into the homeless shelter and, you know, 
giving out bowls of soup or whatever is not like a, a great thing because it is and it's neat. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But, but I think part of what their community service should be is that you've got to sit down and you've got to get to know somebody. You got to have a conversation with them. Like until you talk with those people, I mean, I've, I've talked to so many people they are like, yeah, I've been to like, you know, I've been to Mexico or I've been to Haiti where I'm like, yeah, but in what, in what capacity? In what capacity? Absolutely. And, and even. Because if you didn't even, stay with the locals and you didn't meet yeah. anybody and you don't know anyone, you don't really understand like what's going on, you know? Yeah. And even, even if you go in a kind of lackadaisical vacation style capacity, what did you choose to do with your time? You know, like, because you can choose to, to engage, you know, just depending on, you know. But people won't because they're freaked out. Like, I mean, I've talked to friends <laughs> like, yeah, I was at Mexico, but we're like scared on the cab ride, like driving through. I was like, I'm sure you were. But again, like, and there, you do have to be like on guard about certain things. Sure. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But like, in the daylight, there's no reason that you can't be like, hi, like, what's your name? You know, mm-hmm. and, like try to have a conversation or whatever it is and like find out about somebody. When you're going to. I mean, we don't like, even know our neighbor. No. Let alone no. anybody from. You know what's country. crazy? I have, I have a neighbor here who lives, he's like the next door over. And I don't know this guy's name. I don't know it. I don't know. His name, but I know I've, I've been around his kids. I, uh, and, and I've talked to him so many times he literally like he knows that i get a lot of packages you know delivered to me good old amazon God. i love it amazon I love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but he knows that my schedule is crazy i'm constantly all over the place so there will be stretches of time for you know three days here a couple weeks there where i'm not home and he just he, I, he didn't even tell me he did this like i didn't even realize that like the first time it happened like I saw that a package had been delivered on my phone. I was like, fuck, I'm not going to be there for like four days. And so I told a buddy of mine, I was like, Hey, can you go over to my place and pick up this package? And he went there to get it. And he's like, dude, it's not here. And I'm like, uh, okay. And I came back and he came out. He's like, Hey man, I've been waiting for you to come back. I wasn't sure what it was, but I took your package. I didn't want anyone to steal it. So here it is. And I was like, what in the world? It's amazing, but I have like 15 neighbors and I don't know any of them. (laughs) I have, I have quite a few neighbors too, like in my little like cul-de-sac here. I mean, I do know a couple of them, the the folks that live right underneath me, they're actually, they're both from Serbia. Oh, wow. We've had conversations about how that was when they were there and they have a little girl named Polina and she's like the cutest thing ever. I feel like you're um, almost more predisposed to to meet and get along with them because oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it though, and I love hearing about like their culture and like yeah. how you know they've invited me over for like dinners and stuff where they make like traditional stuff and you know all of that. And it's, I mean, it does. It, again, it takes you out of your comfort zone quite a bit, you know. Um, and again, I, I think that's the reason why a, a lot of people don't want to be involved in certain things because they don't like being uncomfortable. I mean, it's natural to not want to be uncomfortable. Of course. Um, but I don't think that you can grow unless you are uncomfortable. Yeah. So, okay. I think that this might, that might even be the answer to the question. The, the last question that I'm going to ask you is, so if someone is trying to kind of start doing their own thing or they want they want to get involved in a nonprofit or they were even interested and so motivated as to want to start their own what what kind of advice would you give them what kind of heads up if they had like an inside consultation like you know inside baseball talk with you what uh what what warnings would you give them what advice would you give them oh boy um (laughs) uh fail you got to fail. You only learn from failing and you can't be afraid to do it. And for every one good reason that you give somebody for why you want to do something, they're going to give you 20 why you shouldn't. But the thing is, is that if you try and you fail, you've already taken so many steps beyond what the majority of other people are ever willing to do. Because every person that wants to stand on the sidelines and tell you all the reasons you shouldn't or can't do it, is a person that isn't doing anything that you're doing. 
Um, I got, got a children's book uh, when I started my nonprofit, somebody sent me. And it was, I think, called like, um, I Had an Idea. And the whole book is basically about, I had this idea and everybody told me I couldn't. And they gave me all the reasons I shouldn't and all this other stuff. And the idea in the book is like this little glowing egg. And as they continue to doubt themselves, the idea gets dimmer and dimmer. And then one day they realize, I don't need anybody to tell me I can have my idea. And I can go ahead and I can make my idea whatever I want. And then it gets brighter and brighter. And finally, the egg cracks and there it is, the realization of it. Um, and that's what you have to do. I, I still have people that have seen everything that I've done that want to give me 20 reasons why that will never work. Why it's the stupidest thing. And not, not that it's stupid. It's just, that's, you know how hard that's going to be. You know, it was like, well, again, you know anything worth doing is never going to be easy. If, if starting a nonprofit was easy, everybody would have one. Yep. If it was easy to do this and that, it would be done all over the place. It's not easy. None of it's easy. And you'll feel like giving up all the time, but you got to look and figure out what your conviction is and what matters and what legacy you want to carry. Because at the end of the day, you know, we've only got a certain amount of time on earth. So at the end, do I want to kick myself about all the things that I should have done and didn't because somebody said it might not work? Or do I want to at least be able to say, I gave that a hell of a shot. Didn't work out, but you know what? I at least did this much because I'd rather have that. I'd, I'd rather be able to say, I don't have that regret. Um, that in, in, in everything that you do, even if you fail, you're going to get a wealth of knowledge that you didn't have before that you can apply to the next time you pull your ass out of the dirt and you get up and you try again. There's literally nothing that I can add to that. You hit on so many themes that I've had with all of the conversations that I've had with people so far. And that's, I don't even want to touch it. That was, you said before the, before the interview, you said something about not being prophetic. Well, um, you failed at not being prophetic. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) That was wonderful. I thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We did like three hours and it was not, (laughs) unexpected at all and I knew it was it was going to be worth it and I knew it was going to take that amount of time to really get through all the stuff and we could keep going for another three um I I feel like we could definitely do multiple (laughs) multiple I'm gonna I'm gonna find a time for sure I'm I'm gonna find a way to get you back and we'll do another one (laughs) but uh well again I really appreciate you wanting to hear anything that I have to say I just feel like I'm kind of like ranting or whatever but (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we get a chance to do it again. Well, I hope so as well. Well, thank you very much, Maddie. You're welcome. There it was. Holy moly. What an episode. (laughs) I'm so pumped. I just... We recorded this a while ago, and... Um, so the benefit that I have in these shows is that I get the chance to go back and listen to them and, you know, add the music, get a little bit of flair, the bells and whistles for y'all to, you know, keep you entertained. I'm so happy I decided to cut it this way because, I mean, we did over three hours, um, of, uh, one consecutive conversation that I went back and dissected and to make it a little bit more digestible for y'all. So this, this is what I do. Cause I care about you and I'm in, you know, I want you to be happy. So hopefully you are and hopefully you're, uh, you're a little bit more motivated and you're able to see what this one person did through her own choices and kind of what her mentality is giving you that blueprint. Um, just yet another blueprint of what it takes to be successful and it's grit. 
It's hard work. It's determination. And Kelly is chalked full of it. I'm so grateful to have her in my life. So incredibly thankful that she spent that time with me having this amazing conversation. So thank you, Kelly. Truly appreciate it. Thank you all for coming. And if you like what you're hearing, then please tell a friend. Um, Rate it on whatever forum, medium, podcast medium that you're listening on. iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, um, Spotify, all the like. And um, but most importantly is just just spread the word. If somebody if this will hit home to somebody that you know, or you you have that that starving artist, or you have that entrepreneur, or you have that some that that person who is who has that spirit in them, then uh, send them my way, and I'm sure that they'll enjoy the show. And shoot, if you know anybody that you feel would be a good fit for the show, by all means, reach out to me, uh, and I'm. I'm more than happy to to take some take on some more interviews. Thank you all for coming back again. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. Keep your chin up and a smile on your face.